Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Safranis, and today I'm here with a very special person, Tanner Skindarian. Um, we work, Tanner and I worked together for uh, the last couple of years uh, as part of the Performance Marketing Group at IBM, and um, I wanted to bring her on today to talk about a few things, um, and, and we'll get into it. Um, a little bit about like different personality traits in, in different kinds of roles, and um, just I want to talk about your background. Um, so Tanner, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure thing, and thank you, Alex, for having me on my very first podcast. Uh, so hello, listeners. My name is Tanner. I am a coworker at IBM with Alex. My role is analyst, strategist, consultant. And uh, my background is in consultant-type roles. Um, very excited to be talking about my experience so far in the analytics space, and happy to talk about all those items that you mentioned at the top. Great. So let's dive in. So, um, so in terms of your career, like, what's what's your you know job background, and how did you get to IBM? Absolutely. So I was someone who went into college not really knowing what I wanted to do when I grew up, and I would say that that holds true to today. I was someone who got work experience through my mother and her role as an event planning public relations specialist in Boston and thought that was going to be the path for me. So I actually spent some time working with her through the uh, specifically public relations of public officials. So I was working in governor's offices, senator's offices, trying to get a sense for that kind of work of connecting elected officials to their constituencies. And what I found from that experience was there is a lot of value in communications and being an effective face or spokesperson for an organization. But there is a limit uh, for how much you can learn and how much natural skill just needs to take over. And when I was 18 years old and in college, I realized there's a lot I still have yet to learn. There are things that I find come natural to me, but what have I not untapped? And I ended up actually studying history. That was just a pure interest uh, of storytelling and things that Really, I, I liked sharing at the family dinner table. That was more from just a personal interest standpoint. But from a career perspective, I really took a right turn around my junior year and went <laughs> went down what some people would call a classic sellout move, went down the consultant path. <laughs> um, totally new to me, totally, I mean, no one in my family was a consultant. So I wanted to try this profession because I had been told it's the job for smart kids who don't know what they want to do. And that was exactly where I found myself at, at 21, 22 years old. So I more or less fell into consulting. I really enjoyed the work, especially the client management. I think that started to tap into what I learned in the public relations days. Um, but ultimately, again, another ceiling, another limit to what you can learn in that space. And not that I thought I learned all I could in consulting. I think I wasn't having, I didn't find the right tools to learn new techniques and learn new capabilities. And a space like IBM and the analytics team made that table stakes, the analytics and the, the quantitative skills that come with being on this team. 
And so I, I liked being in a space where I could learn all those things around a whole team that is doing that kind of work. Um, and at the end of the day, I felt like it rounded out my whole, I guess, toolkit to use a consultant word mm-hmm. for you. Um, so that's basically how I got here. Um, and I think that the path will continue in many other turns and twists. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I actually, it's funny, I have a similar story starting in consulting at IBM and navigating internally after that first year. And I do really understand what you mean when when you say that you hit this like learning block, because a lot of consulting is about output. It's about delivering value to the client and solving those problems. And the reason why it can be difficult to start in consulting is because you don't have that experience to then deliver value to the client. So you almost have to build the plane while it's in the air, kind of where you're, you, right. you are pro- learning and providing value at the same time. And being in a, an environment like we're in right now, where it's focused around the analytics, focused around pushing yourself and learning new analytical techniques, and there's so much um, richness in terms of what you can learn, and there's no there's no pressure like there is in consulting to constantly be on and delivering value. It's more like how can I grow as an analytics professional, as a strategist, and that's just it. So it's good for the soul to when you're in your early career to be in that kind of environment. So I love that you took that path, and I, I find that my path is really similar in, in that sense, which mm. is which is kind of cool. Um, so. Yeah, I, uh, just kind of continuing on that note, what are the sort of personality traits do you think would make a person successful in consulting versus something more internal uh, like the analytics team that we're on? That's a really good question. I think that being affable, being accommodating, client services is basically the forefront of that profession and it takes patience it takes organization because you have to not only be keeping yourself and your your own thoughts clear you need to be um, communicating them to others who may find it like greek and you need to be keeping the client's priorities and the client's objectives clear so it's a job for um, the patient it's a job for the the friendly and the affable it's also a job, I think, for the type A, and I'm not trying to be exclusionary. I myself do not actually even identify as a type A. I'm probably like a like a type A minus or a type B plus. <laughs> um, I I think it takes a certain type of person who is very comfortable in ambiguity, very quick to delivering value and discovering what is the nugget I should be focusing in. Um, and very, very comfortable in communicating complex things down to their basics. Um, the analytics work in a consulting role and like the management consulting role that I had at least, it's important, but it can usually be compartmentalized, meaning a full team is not comprised of four brilliant analysts. Um, whereas you can, you can share that and one person can more or less be the expert. In a, in a job like IBM and our analytics team here, everybody kind of needs to know the data. Everyone needs to speak in the data and speak in the, in the numbers in order to understand each other. And so I think that was a big difference that I saw between the two. 
Definitely. So what was the career mistake or mistakes that you learned most from? So I think the biggest one is is not, and I, I take pause on this because I think mental health is a very, very important and a very, um, it, it's, a, it's something that affects everyone's lives in some ways. And I think uh, at the age of 21 years old, 22 years old, both in school and in my first touch with a real working job, I've realized how anxiety plays into a career and plays into a young professional trying to prove herself. So I would say a big mistake I made is not identifying and isolating some of my nervous tics or my anxieties or what makes me hold myself back. Not isolating those moments outside of the workplace before I actually became a working uh, contributor to society because I think I did a lot of that figuring out on the job and especially a very stressful job right out of college, moving to New York City, I think it all compounded. So I would say the first yeah. thing is to make make sure that when you <laughs> when you take on a new job or when you are taking on a new role that your headspace is there and that you have the resources and the tools to make yourself as confident and comfortable in that space uh, as possible. And I did not do that. <laughs> and I think my second big mistake that I've done in my early career is I have, I've basically let the fears, let me say that again. I have basically let the fears and the stereotypes that I think people have of me define me. Mm. And that goes into... Uh, goes into a lot of different forms but I think I think that some things I would have done differently in my young career is make a better effort to establish my brand as a confident contributing member of a team a smart intelligent leader make that clear from the start because that's who I knew I wanted to be. And as soon as I started to get feedback or impressions that people didn't see that in me, I started to believe that myself. Um, and it's been, a, it's been an upward battle ever since then. So I, I would say that's been a major learning. Um, I don't even know if regret's the right word, but a major learning that I've had in these four and a half years, five years. Yeah, I mean, thank you for sharing that and um, being vulnerable. I mean, that's so valuable. I know, like, everybody is struggling to some degree with who they are and what they want. And that's something that I definitely struggled with. I mean, I was so clueless back in college as to what I wanted to do. I watched Don Cheadle's uh, House of Lies, which is a consulting TV show, and I loved it. I was like, this is great. I would love to do consulting. And then you, you know, but you can't base your life off of TV shows. Um, it's just such a ridiculous idea. And and I share that because that was how simple I thought. Like, I really didn't grasp how critical it was to match what you did with what you got that intrinsic reward from when you're working mm-hmm. on it. 
mm. and and you need mm-hmm. to match your work with with what really makes you feel good. I recently wrote a list of the things that give me energy and the things that take away energy. And for a lot of people, going to work probably would take a lot of energy. But I find that when I'm at work and I'm doing a really good job and I just like put in like a good like 10 hour day and I just did a lot, I feel so good after that. And that speaks to being in a role that really makes you feel energized and, and matches what like what is rewarding to you. And, um, and I didn't, it didn't start that way. It started with the other idea where it just feels so draining. Um, and so definitely I hear you on, on, you know, really trying to make sure that you stay true to who you are and don't let other people kind of change that, like whatever you think is best for you and what's making, what's working for you, you got to stick to it. I think what got me into this situation was the fact that I was also taught and this is a good lesson to be very open and very eager for feedback. I just think that a lot of the feedback I got while there there were practical applications, I think I sometimes yeah. internalized a lot sure. of it. And it, it began to challenge yeah, when, exactly as you say, when you're when your core identity begins to be challenged, there's a problem. I'll give one last anecdote and it's about this confidence idea, which you'll hear me come back to. I, I grew up thinking I had the most confidence. In middle school and in high school, I was part of student council and I was always in front of my class doing some ridiculous thing. But what I remember is almost every school assembly, I had a microphone in my hand at one point. I was up on the stage and I was talking to my peers and talking to faculty and talking to upperclassmen, what have you. And then I come into a professional setting and I have a microphone in my hand and it just train wreck. (laughs) So it's really interesting to see how these passions of when we're younger just kind of dissipate as we get older. And there's a lot of external reasons for that, that we need to keep a close eye on. Yeah, I have a working theory that the trajectory that you took in school, like K through eight, is probably similar in the trajectory of life, but it resets. And so when you just enter the Mm. real world, you're just in kindergarten again, and you just have this miles of runway ahead of you. And if you in in school like were able to adapt and change and and really optimize your experience probably in life you'll be able to do the same thing so i'm curious if that plays out i don't know yeah thank god i brought my crayons to my first day at ibm <laughs> i believe that <laughs> and that's a joke for you listeners thank you <laughs> thanks for the laughter <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, you, you definitely, you're always prepared. So <laughs> just in case we need crayons for anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, let's, let, I want to switch gears a little bit. Tell me your life in a newspaper headline. Oh, gosh. Another part of my life was I thought I would be a journalist, so I should be good at this. <laughs> um, insecure overachiever works hard to pull her community together. Look at that's amazing. I love that. 
Uh, so hear me out. The biggest thing I, I think my fundamental characteristic of myself is hardworking. I think I learned hard work in a way that not a lot of people who grew up in the, in the way I did learn it. And I had uh, two amazing parents instill discipline at a very young age. And so I am so appreciative of that, that hard work is the number one thing. And then over time, especially in the high school, college, and you'll see it now at IBM through some of my, my ways of connecting with peers, the community building is also a big thing. Um, but underneath all of that is the insecure overachiever, which is a recycled phrase. I will not take credit <laughs> for that, where basically we have this, this endless need to please and this endless need to be liked. And gosh, if I could have my mother's approval every day, then I think I'd be happy for the rest <laughs> of my life. It's pathetic, but true. That's pathetic, but true. We all have things, um, you know, that, that we wish could be better. Um, you know, I think, I think for me, it could be good. I, it's tough for me to criticize myself right now because the things that I think are bad could actually be good. But I, I'm very much in the clouds. Like, my, I'm always dreaming. I'm always thinking big. Recently, I decided I want to buy a planet when I'm older. Or just colonize one. I don't think you have to buy a planet. I think you can just go to one and call it your own. Um, you might have to get a flag. Wow. I don't know. I'm in. I'm up in the clouds. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, come peacefully. Come peacefully. <laughs> There's life there. You don't want to subject them to. Wouldn't that be nice if there was life? What we do. Yeah. No. That's a dark term. Yeah. It would. Uh, uh, if you were to, if this podcast were to be about extracurricular, extracurricular, <laughs> extraterrestrial life, I I would uh, have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> if you were an expert on it, I wish I was. Uh, yes, I wish there was life out there, and I hope that you live to go see it one day. I think that would be very cool. Thank you. Yeah, I I think it's so important. <laughs> we derailed. <laughs> where were we? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about those core motivations and, and what you're trying to like constantly improve on. I, oh, one huge thing for me right now is an executive mindset. That's I've been pushing so hard, like mm. to 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 my and myself. I've been pushing myself so hard to to sit in and think in a strategic way and connect the dots. And that seems it's mm. like simply said, but extremely difficult in practice for certain people. Some people it comes naturally. Um, and for me, it's just been this struggle, like an uphill battle. But the thing is, I can feel that it's right. I can feel that this is the, uh, this is the tr trait that if I unlock this trait, it'll, it's like the last pin in a lock. And that's all I need. And mm -hmm. um, I, was, mm -hmm. I was talking to one of our executives. I love that. Yeah, I was talking to one of our executives. and. It, we were talking about this idea that like you always strive to do what you're worst at and he disagreed he's like you don't always try to do what you're worst at but if you know what you want in life if you know like this the area that you want to optimize then it is optimal to work in the what you are weakest at within that so if you want to like so if you're like absolutely terrible at at um uh, history, but you don't want to learn about history, then you shouldn't spend your whole life trying to get better at history. But if you are like trying to become an artist and you're, you know, you're bad at business, 
Well, maybe getting that mm-hmm. supplemental business experience <laughs> really will make the whole thing work. Um, so, yeah, yeah that's, that's sort of how I'm trying to view optimization. One thing I, I see in you, Alex, besides your uh, unbelievable confidence, you have, you, you have <laughs> remarkable confidence. Thank um, you. But I think that your quality of being a dreamer is actually closer to the executive quality that you're looking for because I think some of the best leaders we have in at least in our organization are the ones who don't think about fixing the status quo or making our current systems more efficient. It's those who think about what if we were to redo the whole model altogether? What if we were to build again and think about this in a completely new way? And so don't ever lose that that dreamer's aspect of you because I actually think it has more utility in the executive space than, than you probably have um, practiced for today. Thank you. Wow. I really hope you're right. I, think, <laughs> I really do. <laughs> um, it, it's definitely... I say that a lot. <laughs> I hope I'm right too. <laughs> Love that. Um, okay, here's here's another oddball question. What are three movies you would bring to a deserted island to watch for the rest of your life? Okay, so I actually, this is going to, I know my top three movies, and they've always been my top three movies. Um, Remember the Titans, Forrest Gump, and Goodwill Hunting. Nice. Great movies. Three Three pictures of American life, American history in a fictionalized way, of course, that tell stories about what was happening in our country before we got to it. Basically, before you and me were born. Uh, And as an American, I I find the American story uh, a complicated one, a really complicated one. One that I'm really learning in the last year just how complicated it is. And, and I thought my learning ended when I graduated college. Absolutely not. And these movies, of course, they have there's some problematic themes in them and, and they're not perfect in telling the picture of the, the American story. But I think that they were my first introductions to, oh, America isn't this beautiful, perfect, porcelain, equal place. And, oh, like, uh, being smart isn't black and white in how you contribute in society or how you find happiness. Or, oh, acceptance is way more than just words. It's your actions. And I think those three movies taught me those lessons, and um, I find them to be beautiful, beautiful works of art. Wow. Thank you for sharing. And that... That actually sparked this question that, that I, I want to ask you, because um, you, you mentioned that you have a background in history, and for somebody who's in like a tech job, and for somebody who does analytics regularly, you wouldn't expect that, right? I, for instance, went to business school, studied marketing and data science, like the things that you would think would set me up perfectly. I still ended up in consulting for a little bit before figuring out what worked, mm-hmm. but what how how has history benefited you in your current job, if at all? Right, and right. why why not become a historian? 
Fantastic question. Well, the interview answer to that mm. is history taught me how to taught me how to read, write, and argue. That's what history as a discipline taught me. But the honest answer for why I picked history has to go back to the fact that I had the very privileged opportunity to go to a prestigious university where uh, I basically was told study what you want, study what you find passionate about or you are passionate about, and the job will come afterward, which is a really um, privileged perspective when it comes to education, especially education in America, when there are millions of people who can't even access higher education and that has stunted employment and life trajectory thereafter. So I recognize the privilege when I say this, that it was just an honest interest. Um, But it's it's actually more, I think, even in my in my bones, in my identity. I, I am not a very spiritual person, but if I were to think of myself as uh, someone contributing in this universe, uh, I first think about what is my role in my family. And I'm fortunate enough; I have a big family, so there's enough. There are enough players to basically bounce my own role off of them to define that and I think I am the family storyteller not yet no one no one really listens to me because I'm still the the youngest and I can't even get a fighting breath at the dinner table um but I'm I'm the youngest of six children my mother had a um you know phenomenal American dream story especially being a woman in the 70s coming into business. Um, My father comes from an immigrant family. So there are so many beautiful stories in my own family that really started this passion. And applying the academic component of let's study our yesteryear, let's study our past, and put it into discussion of today, into our policy discussions, into our... Um, decisions as leaders and to the way that we build communities, that's where I see it going in the future. Uh, But for now, I think I I like to keep hold of what has happened before us because I feel like someone's got to know these things decades from now. And for some reason, I've always felt in my family that that's going to be my that's going to be my role. Wow. And funny enough, I'm we're digitizing thousands of family photographs and guess who has that lovely job? I'm going to guess you. Yours truly. Yeah. <laughs> but to answer your question of how do I see it apply in the in the work context? I think that there's there's this quality you learn in in history where basically you have to critically analyze every perspective or bias or potential flaw in a historical artifact or piece of literature from another time and place. And it's this idea of contextualization that you learn in an academic setting that really has so many applications to the business context. And I'll give an example, which is when I was a consultant, we often had recommendations or made decisions for the the client that they didn't agree with. And 
and we'd butt heads, we'd escalate it to their boss and eventually get our way because that's why they pay us the big bucks. <laughs> um, no, but it, it would it would be a pretty um, sometimes difficult process to get that kind of breakthrough. And I realize it's what we were not doing in those scenarios and what we probably could have afforded to do at the very beginning and save all that conflict was understand exactly where they're coming from, why they have the perspectives they do, what are the tens of twenties of years of decisions beforehand that got them into that situation and why is it not that one person we're dealing with's fault. So I think it has its role in client management and relationship management. Um, but when I'm writing SQL or really building dashboards, I don't think it has a, a tremendous application. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I'll admit that. <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's really interesting. That actually reminds me of a meeting I was in today where we came to the meeting with the perspective that uh, we, we had figured out this flaw in one of our ideologies and how we approach website design. And we found that customers weren't doing that, uh, that flow that we had expected. And from our perspective, this was an incredible finding because it was something that we had been assuming the whole time. And we brought this to an executive and he said, wow, those are great numbers. We actually just tried that new website design like, you know, let's say a year ago. And um, I would have actually expected it to work a lot worse. So it was, it, it was the context, right? It was understanding the history behind the decisions that were made that you know that that's why he's an executive right that's that's why that's what makes him be an executive right. is being able to bring that historical context to the table and make wiser decisions see all of the activity in the context of the decisions that preceded it and when you come in and you don't have that historical perspective and you're just looking at how things are you see something and you don't know whether it's good or bad. You see a number and you don't have an idea of, mm -hmm. is this mm -hmm. better or worse than before? Or what is the context I should view this in? So I think that, yeah, what you brought, uh, what, your answer really seemed to focus around understanding that context and that history and how that can help make better decisions in the future from a business perspective, not just in the grand sense that we talk about, but actually like business decisions, understanding the history of the business and the decisions that preceded it. Mm -hmm. It's really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Alex. This has really been a fun way to spend my afternoon. And I'd like to say to the listener, thank you for your patience uh, listening to my chaotic thoughts. <laughs> I'm sure they enjoyed it. All right. Thank you, Tanner. And uh, for all you listeners out there, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.